So has anybody in here ever felt like you were not a part of the club? Anyone? You know, you see the cool people? You're not in the club? <laughs> you know, you see the cool people over doing stuff, and you're like, yeah, I'm not. That's not my crowd. Then you start looking around, and you're like, what is my crowd? I don't have a crowd. Well, let me tell you something. If you are born again, you are a member of the most elite and powerful club on earth. And that is called the church. A lot of times we don't realize it. We don't really understand what God has done. You know, we read in, we, we read in the book of Acts where Jesus said, you know, wait for the Holy Spirit. And he says, when you receive, you know, you will receive power when you receive the Holy Spirit. And, and you will be my witnesses, you know, first in Jerusalem, then in Judea, then to the outermost parts of the world. And that seems like an important verse, right? I mean, he says, you will receive power. And then we read about the day of Pentecost and the Holy Spirit descending in flames of fire. Wouldn't that have been a cool thing to be able to see? Descending in flames of fire on each of the, the apostles. And then all of a sudden they are transformed and they go out and 3,000 people are saved in a moment. Because they hear the preaching of the gospel. And we read that and you're like, yeah, that was an amazing moment. And one of the things we forget is we're a part of that same church. We're a part of that same body. We are preaching that same message empowered by that same spirit. You see, the church is something special. Now, that doesn't mean that every local congregation taps into that power. It doesn't mean that every local congregation is, is going to, you know, have this, this Pentecost moment where they go out and just transform society in an instant. Because God, as we're going to see, shows His wisdom in different ways through the church. And so this week, we're going to look in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 7 through 13, at the church and the wisdom of God. Because the two are united in ways that people don't even understand. And I remember when, when I was young and I started studying Ephesians, this was one of the first verses that I highlighted in 3.10, wondering what it meant. And so we're going to talk about that this week. But if you have your Bible or your phone, we're obviously, uh, we're getting there. we got a 20-second countdown. <laughs> uh, look with me in Ephesians chapter 3, beginning in verse 7. And Paul says, of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. Sound familiar? Kind of Acts 1-8-like. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in 
the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Now, I kind of told some people last week after service and everything, I said, get ready to strap in because Paul's going to start going deep now, okay? It's, uh, it's time for the submarine to start diving deep, and we're going to get into some deep waters with Ephesians. Uh, the, the introductions are over. And one of the things that he starts off that I want us to see is that the, the grace of God brings purpose. God does not just give grace just to give it without, you know, any, it, grace is free, but when we receive grace, we receive new purpose in life too. We receive new identity, we receive new purpose. And purpose in life is important. It's, it's one of those things that drives us, right? I mean, to have a sense of true purpose in life. What am I here for? Anybody ever, ever, ever have that moment in life kind of struggling with that? What is my purpose? Everybody does. Like, everybody can raise your hand on that one. If you don't, you're lying. We, we all have those moments of like, why am I here, God? What, what is my purpose? What is this? Well, God reveals it at different times and in different ways. But when we receive God's grace, it is always going to bring with it a sense of purpose and a new purpose. And so listen again to what he says in verses 7 through 9. He says, of this gospel, okay, the gospel of Jesus Christ, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints... This grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So Paul considers receiving this mystery. As we talked about last week, the mystery is revealed that that God is creating one new people and that it's all by faith and it's all through the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's all by what he did. That this mystery that was made, what was hidden for ages has now been made known to him and with it came a calling and a lifestyle of telling others about it. He was made an apostle. Now, I love how he says that. He says, I was made an apostle. Who made him that? God did. It wasn't his idea. It wasn't his work. He didn't go to school for it. He, he wasn't trained to be it. He was actually became what God wanted him to be, and that was the apostle to the Gentiles. And so Paul considers receiving the mystery a gift, and he considers the life that he now has because of the gift another gift. His life as an apostle, as a preacher of the gospel, he says is a gift that he received by the power of of God. Now, how many of us in here consider the life that we live the gift from God? You see, too many times I think we, we try to escape our lives rather than embracing the gift that God has given us. And our culture is full of it right now, uh, of people wanting to avoid life, wanting to escape life, 
And, and that's what we, we, we see all kinds of things. People trying to escape their identity, trying to escape everything, rather than diving in deep and saying, God, what do you have for me? Because you have given me the gift of grace, and with grace comes purpose. You see, Paul's life changed in more ways than we know. We've got to really think about this because sometimes, and too many times, when we talk about the gospel, we, we talk, it's almost like the Christian life is just about avoiding the bad stuff, avoiding sin. Who, who's experienced that before? Like, like we start just thinking that way, and I don't know why, but we do, and we start thinking of the Christian life as all the stuff we don't do. Is Paul even referencing the stuff he doesn't do here? No, he says, I have a purpose. I have something that I do, that I am pursuing, that I am here to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ to the Gentile world and to everybody that will listen. Now, he is obviously avoiding the things that are going to keep him from doing that. He's going to avoid the things that are going to make him ineffective at doing that. He's going to avoid the things that would make it look like his life is, hasn't changed. He's, he's no longer that old person, so he's going to chase the new things in life. But his life is not about what he's not doing. It's about the upward call that he has in Christ. And so he considers his life now a privilege to preach Christ to the Gentile world. And I want you to think about what is the change that actually happened in Paul? Yeah, he stopped persecuting the church. He stopped being self-righteous. He stopped the things of his old life first so he could embrace the things of the new. And that's what he is starting to put. The first step, and I need us to understand this, the first step in discipleship and salvation is always repentance. But it's not just because we've got to get away from the bad, icky stuff. It's because the old life does not fit with the new. You cannot go two directions at once. And the old life takes you in a direction away from the very purpose of God's calling for you. And so repentance is about more than just, hey, I need to not sin. It's I'm turning away from a life that takes me away from God. And so Paul did repent. So the Christian life is much, much bigger than avoiding sin. The Christian life then, what is it about? It is about glorifying God, building the kingdom of God, and saving lives. Saving lives. How many of you consider your Christian call at, at, at the core being about saving lives? Because that's what it is. We're not just here trying to get people baptized just so we can say, hey, we had this number of baptisms. What does baptism represent? Saved lives for all of eternity. And we want to see that. God wants to see that. Paul, this was his calling. And so what does he say? Look back at verse 7. He says, of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. Paul's life was all about the power and calling of God after his salvation. It was all about what God is now doing through him for everybody else. And what does Paul do? I love this. He contrasts 
his previous life. See, this is called a testimony. And a testimony is when we talk about and tell people what God has done for us and what he is doing through us. Now, how many of you have ever met those people that their testimony, they spend more time talking about their old life than what they're doing now? Yeah, if you knew me back then, yeah, man, I would party. And, 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 and that's fine. But if, if that's all your testimony is, is talking about what you used to do, and God isn't doing something new in you now that gets you more excited than talking about your past, something's wrong. Because it's not about what we're not doing. It's about what God wants us to do. And so I love the way Paul puts this. He says, to me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. The least worthy was given the highest calling. Don't you love how God does that? And this is not false humility. Paul knows. He knows what his life was before. And he's like, if there is ever anybody who did not deserve to be an apostle, who did not deserve grace, if there was ever anybody who didn't deserve any of this, it's me. And he means it. And and I, I love this. In the Greek, he literally creates a word. Okay, anybody ever do that? You just make up your own words to describe something? Because, you know, the 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 mass of words we have just don't seem to do a good enough job. And so we just create a new one. And that's what Paul did. Because when he, in the English where it says, I am the least of all the saints, literally what he says right here is to the effect, it, it doesn't even really translate as I am the smallester. I'm the leastestest. He, he literally is creating a word right here that doesn't exist and is a violation of Greek rules. But he wants you to know that he, how emphatic he is on this, that I am the smallestest. I am the least worthiest, the leastestest of all of the saints. And he's not saying just the apostle. When he says saints, he means all believers. All believers. Everybody who believes in Christ, he's like, I am at the bottom. That's who I am. I'm at the bottom. And yet, what does he say? He says, I've been given the job to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. So I'm the smallestest, but I've got the greatestest. <laughs> and, and Paul is doing this on purpose. He's, he's saying, look, I want you to see Christ. And I want you to know everything you can about him. Because he uses the word unsearchable, which means beyond the ability to quantify or fully describe. And yet he's going to try. He's like, if I've got to make up words to do it, I will. I want you to know the unsearchable riches of Christ. The riches of Christ. What are those? They are ours through grace. They are boundless, unfathomable, inexhaustible, and infinite. Okay, one commentator puts it this way. Paul saying that to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ, it, it, it's almost like this. It's as if a man were tracking out the confines of a lake, walking its boundaries and shores, and when the circuit was almost complete, should discover that it was no lake at all, but an arm of the ocean as he was confronted by the immeasurable sea. 
Could you imagine that you're walking along, charting it? Okay, this is, uh, you know, we're about this far. And then you turn a corner and you're like, oh, ocean. You know, you just kind of put the paper down. I don't think I'm going to track all of this. I don't think I'm going to map it out. He's saying, that's what he's saying here is that he's been given the task of describing that and preaching that to the people. He who was the least has been given the greatest charge. Paul has been given the charge to share the infinite riches of Christ. The revealed truth held in trust must be shared. Amen? It must be shared. Not to do so would be, as one of my professors called it in seminary, the sin of the desert. To know the location of the life-saving oasis and refuse to tell it to those dying of thirst. That is a sin. When Christians refuse to share the gospel out of fear, out of pride, out of laziness, out of any reason, we are guilty of the sin of the desert. Why? Because we have the unsearchable riches of Christ. We have the bountiful riches of Christ. The grace will never run out. You see, in our world, they like to teach, we we have this idea of scarcity that, you know, there's only so much, and if I give away, then I'm not going to have enough. But here's the truth of the gospel, is the more you give it away, the more you have. The more you love, the more your capacity to love increases. The more you exercise faith, the more faith there is to have. That is just the, the truth of it. And today, we need this same evangelistic zeal and sense of duty to the kingdom of God that Paul has here. And we all have it. We all have this calling. There, it, it is not about the professional minister. It is not about, you know, hey, just getting him to the preacher so he can tell him stuff. It, it's we all have this duty to share the love of Christ with others. Now, you don't have to do it like I would. If God hasn't called you to be a preacher, please don't try to be a preacher. You be you. Be the person that God called you to be. You use the gifts that God gave you in your circle of influence. You will be far more effective in your circle of influence than I would if I entered into it. We all have our calling. And that's where Paul says, this was my calling. And he's excited about it. That he's been called to go into the Gentile world and preach Christ. And so if you know the truth of Jesus Christ, listen to this, you have the high privilege and divine responsibility to share it with those around you. It is a calling that we have. And grace brings that purpose. If grace has not moved you to the point of, of in some way, I'm not saying you got to be Billy Graham. That's his calling. But if we aren't sharing Christ in some way, trying to influence people towards the kingdom, talking about Jesus, sharing the love of God, we're missing out on what he wants us to do. And to live in that kind of rebellion, we're going to miss out on blessings then. God won't bless a life that says, God, give me grace, give me grace, give me grace. And he says, okay, give some of it away. And he says, no, this is mine. I'm going to keep it. And too many Christians want to just stand in the light and and we just praise and just soak it up and soak it up. And God's like, hey, go give some of it away. And we're like, no, I'm just going to stay here if you don't mind. I really like this light. And what we don't realize is 
our capacity to receive is limited by our capacity to give. In the kingdom of God, what we give away, God will fill up. And so sometimes God turns it off. He turns off the spigot and he says, no, I'm not going to give you anymore. And that's why, how many of you are like, you know, I praise and worship, but it's just nothing's happening. I used to really feel it, and now I I don't feel it anymore. You know why you're not feeling it? Maybe you're not giving it away. It's full. (laughs) And you need to make some room. And that is why we have the 4x4 cards here. Who here has their card on them? He's got their card. Y'all thought I forgot. I didn't forget. I told you those cards were going to come into play this year. And listen, the 4 by 4 cards are just a reminder. It is not a legalistic, you you better do this or God's mad. It is a reminder that we should always have a sense of purpose and evangelism in our lives. No, we're not going to go out and save the world. Everybody we contact is not going to receive Christ. We're, we're, we're one voice in this world. But you know what? God can use one voice, and he will use one voice if you will let him. But we have to be intentional about it. Paul didn't go into Ephesus when he went there the first time and sit there and say, okay, God, send to me whom you want. Just bring him here. I'll just sit here on this bench. And whoever comes to me, I'll just assume that's my mission and I'm not ever. What did he do? He went into places and he started talking to people. He went in. He'd tell them. He's telling them about Jesus. He got run out of every town he went into. Okay? He he did. In some way, people were against him. Did it ever stop him? No. He kept sharing the word of God and churches were established. And they grew. And those churches, they didn't travel like Paul. They had a different ministry. But you know what? They were the body of Christ in that city. And they embraced their calling. And what God has called us into is so much bigger than just our own lives. This is why the gospel as self-improvement fails. It shrinks our calling. The gospel is about more than how good I'm doing in life. The gospel is about a new heaven, a new earth, and the kingdom of God. And so God has called us into his cosmic story. And in this we find that the church is special. We are called to be a part of the body of Christ. And as the body of Christ, we find that that body is something amazing. And I mean it's amazing. And I think it's unfair in a lot of ways today that the abuse that the body, that the bride of Christ takes, we're not perfect. But we are still the redeemed of God and the church matters. And this is why anybody, I don't care who it is, anybody's like, I don't need the church to worship God. Eh, yeah, you can worship God on your own. You won't do it as well. And you won't, as we're about to find out, you won't be a part of the special things that God's doing. You see, this is why the discussion gets off. When people are like, hey, you need to go to church. I don't need to go to church to love God. I can serve God on my own. Yeah, you can. But you won't be a part of the big things that he's going to do. It's not just about you. It's not just about me. It's not about the individual. It's about the bigger picture of God's kingdom and what he's doing. 
You see, Paul makes a statement here that is loaded with meaning and ramifications for our lives. So let's listen to this, okay? Ephesians 3, 10, and 11. Paul's saying he got this grace, and he's teaching the unsearchable riches of Christ for a reason, and he says, so that through who? The church. Let's say that loudly. Through the church. The manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Well, wait a minute. This isn't about self-improvement at all. This is God unveiling his plan and his wisdom to the rulers and authorities and the demons and to Satan himself through the church. Through the church. So if you don't want to be a part of the church, you're saying, I don't want to be a part of the biggest thing God is doing in our world right now. And that is revealing his manifold wisdom to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly realms. This is, this is some amazing stuff right here. When we really start to think about cosmically, eternally, what is going on here? He says that, that God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, when he says the manifold wisdom of God, what he means by that is the many-sided, the varied, the diverse. Okay, it refers to flowers and crowns, embroidered cloth and woven carpets, tapestries. In the Greek Old Testament, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, this word for manifold is what is used to describe Joseph's coat of many colors. And what he's telling us is that God's manifold wisdom, multifaceted, Wisdom is being revealed through the church to all of creation, spiritual and physical, to the rulers and authorities. So here's where I want you to understand this. Satan does not have the inside track on what God is doing and what God is going to do. So how does he find out what God's doing? He watches the church. He just has to watch because God's always going to move first and he's going to move through his church. He's going to reveal his wisdom. He's going to reveal his plans. He's going to reveal his power through his church. That's us. Now, that doesn't mean that it's always going to be, you know, specifically located at Grace Family Fellowship in Pleasant Hill, Missouri. The church in this sense is very big and covers the entire world. And we, we kind of got to get that cosmic scope, but we are still a part of that body. And, and let me tell you, God has a way of working in his whole church at one time. And it's amazing to see. And, and sometimes, I know y'all don't see this. I see it as a pastor with what I follow a lot of times. You know, what, one of the things I've noticed over the past several years, and, and I mean 20 years of pastoring, how many pastors are all preaching from the same book at the same time in different places? And I mean, I see it. Like, I, I'm driving through somewhere, and I see somebody, hey, starting a series on Ephesians. I'm like, hey, so am I. And then I see something advertised online. I'm like, starting a series on Ephesians. I'm like, oh, God's saying something. Because all of these servants that are praying to God, God, what do you want me to talk about? Guess what? He sent the memo out. And we 
checked, you know, and we're like, okay, I guess I'll, I'm, you know, I feel like I'm going to preach on Ephesians. God's like, oh, good, he got it. But God does that, and he does it over and over and over again. And so not one body, you know, local body can ever say, oh, yeah, we got the market cornered, because God's working through the whole thing at once. And it's an amazing thing, but we are a part of that. And so it's something very special and unique in this broken and divided world. God is using his church, his people, to reveal his kingdom and his wisdom, he says, to the authorities and the rulers in the heavenly places. You see, I think that this has then a sense to it when we understand what Paul's talking about in Corinthians. When he says, do you not know, talking about the church, that one day you will judge the angels? You see, God's working through us, and then when we get to heaven, and the new heaven, new earth, kingdom of God, fully inaugurated, the, the, the people of God are going to be elevated to a new position that we're not at now. Right now, it says man was made a little lower than the angels, but in heaven, we're going to be uh, graduated above the angels, and we will be judging them. So it would make sense that right now, God is already working through us, wouldn't it? That he's already using us to accomplish purposes that go beyond the angels. That go beyond the power of the enemy. And he's using his church to do this. And so think of this. In one sense, the church as a living temple and body will know more about God's will and wisdom than the angels in heaven or the demons on earth. Isn't that a privileged place to be? That's what we're a part of when we are active in our church and in the body of Christ. God is using us on a cosmic scale. The body of Christ is now center stage in God's eternal story. This is our time. There have been prophets, there have been kings, there have been nations, there have been all kinds. Other people have been center stage at different times, and Jesus Christ showed up as the author and said, I'm changing the game now. And he died on the cross, was resurrected, the church was started, and now the eternal focus has shifted to what God is doing through his church. And so, the church of every race in every place are the actors, history is the theater, the world is the stage, and God himself is the author, director, and producer of the greatest story ever told. And who is the audience? The angels of the highest realms and the demonic forces in darkness have to watch the church of God to see what God is doing. Because God won't tell them. And you know what? It's been this way for a long time. This work, God has kept hidden from the angels and the demons and from Satan and from all of the principalities and powers in the heavenly places for a very long time. Listen to 1 Peter 3, 10 through 12. It says, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you and the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Things into which angels long to look. 
We are in a privileged position in the church now spiritually. It's through the church that God is revealing new things. Revealing new power. Doing new movements. And so being a part of the body of Christ is more important than you know. This is why, and I listened on this, this is why the enemy is totally fine with us all going to online virtual presence in church. Because if we're separated and we reduce this down to just, oh, just gaining a little bit of Bible knowledge and, hey, just give me the, just, just give me the sermon, that's all I need. No, you need the church. You need the body of Christ. There is a reason that believers through all age were willing to risk life and death just to gather because that's where the power is. In a humanistic culture where knowledge is everything, then yes, just being online all the time is enough. But you know what? That is a form of godliness that denies the power therein. It is separated from the body of Christ. It is separate from the power of what God is doing. And so knowing then that our being a part of the body of Christ is more than checking a box on church attendance, but a part of the cosmic theater in which God is revealing his wisdom, his power, and his future, should that not make us more passionate about the work we do? That we get to be a part of something special. And yeah, there are times it can feel routine. You know what? Greatness is built out of the routine. Amen? It is. Ask any accomplished musician or athlete or anybody who's accomplished anything, and how did you get there? About 10,000 hours of doing this. About 10,000 hours of, you know, Tiger Woods putting on the green. Putt after putt after putt. When everybody else was done, I was still out there going, practicing, getting better. Because greatness is built out of the routine. And so, yes, it can seem at times in church that, hey, I, you know, another sermon, another Bible study. And I, uh, yeah, I'm serving. Is anything happening? Trust me, something's happening. If you've gone to church any amount of time, you can look back in your life at somebody that understood the power of the routine. And you're here today because of that. Because they were willing to put the time in to know God, to serve God, and to value the work of God, however routine it seemed to be. And they committed themselves to it over a lifetime. And you know what? God did something special. And you know what? When did God do it? Yes. When did it happen? That whole time. You took all of it and put it together, and there was an effect that came out of it that you could never quite quantify when it happened. But it happened. That's what being a part of the church is about. And so, what do we do with this? Paul says we serve in boldness and unity. And don't lose the unity part. We serve in boldness and unity. Listen to what Paul says in Ephesians 3, 12 through 13. He says, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. 
Paul says we have boldness in our work because of Jesus and shows us that the work of the body of Christ is bigger than any one person. It's bigger than any one person. And we all got to remember that. Even Paul is like, this is bigger than me. Because they were, they were, you know, upset. I mean, Paul's the one who founded the church there, and he meant a lot to these people. And he's in prison, and they're like, when's he going to get out of prison? Am I ever going to see Paul again? Which, by the way, they wouldn't. They would never see him again in person. But he tells them what? He says, don't, don't be discouraged at what I'm going through, because it's to your glory, because the church is growing. This isn't about me. Don't lose heart. God is still working. Just because one person is suffering over here doesn't mean that God isn't working elsewhere. God is working it all out. And if we understand what Paul says in Romans, we know that all things work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And so Paul says, don't lose heart at what I'm suffering. Just continue to serve God with boldness and with confidence through your faith in him. Work and serve Him. And yeah, did Paul get weary at times? Yes. Did Paul get discouraged at times? Yeah. Did he even think about how much better it would be to go ahead and die and go to heaven? Yes, he did. He had that debate out in the open. Hey guys, should I die? (laughs) Or should I stay here and keep working? Which is going to be better for you, but it's a lot better for me if I die. Which one? He said that in, in, in Philippians. And he says, no, I know, deep down, I'm going I'm to stay here. And I'm going to keep working because that's better for everybody. But I really don't like being in prison. You see, part of what drove him is he knew the ultimate purpose of the church. He knew what God was building. God gave him that vision, especially he got revelation, as we've talked about, and he got to see the bigger picture, and so he was able then to teach other people things, and and able to say things like, hey, don't lose heart because I'm suffering, because God's doing something so much bigger that that don't, don't get caught up in what's happening to me. See, that's true humility right there. Paul's in prison, and he hasn't complained about it once. He just says, hey, it's for your glory. This is for your good. God's working. It's okay. But see, he understood the bigger picture of the church. And so he said it this way. He says, the church in Ephesians 2, we've said this. We've looked at this already. He says, the church grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. It's our unity. It is our our power that we have spiritually to serve him together that makes the difference. So let Paul's goals become yours. Unity in Christ so that together we become a dwelling place for God by the Spirit that is bigger than any one person. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for this day and this time. God, we thank you for the gift that you have given us in the body of Christ. And God, I pray you help us all to appreciate it in a bigger way. God, that we would would meditate and And think on these things, God, about the church revealing the manifold wisdom of God to the rulers and the authorities. God, help us to really think deeply about that and what it means to be a part of it. God, that we would catch that that vision of greatness. That fire of what you are doing that we get to be a part of. And we would be excited about it. 
God, we want you to be glorified in this church, your name made great, your kingdom revealed. God, help Paul's goals to become our goals, that we would want to teach the unsearchable riches of Christ to those around us. God, it's in Jesus' holy name we pray together. Amen.